What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes. As y'all know, our full episodes are chock full of multiple headlines and super dope guests. Our most recent full episode, which we dropped last week, was featuring Chris McNutt and Nick Covington of the Human Restoration Project. And they helped us dive deep into what it means to have a humanizing classroom space and a humanizing, human-centered school system. So if you missed that, definitely go back and check that out. That one was a doozy. That one was like, Jeff, what was that like? It was like an hour and a half long or something like that. And It was, it was um, just long enough. It was just, it was the perfect, it was the correct length. It was the correct length. And exactly. um, it being <laughs> video, you know, t- took some time to edit that one. Those video files are pretty big. And, you know, we toss those on the YouTubes. And if you are somebody who engages with us through Spotify, you also could see the video in there. But that video takes a long time to edit. So in between that, we drop these passing periods. Audio only, much easier, much easier to edit and get out there. And we take this as an opportunity just like with actual passing periods during the school day. Uh, opportunity to check in and uh, catch up on anything that, that we might have missed before we get back into the uh, super dope guest conversations and all that. So I am Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And Jeff, we are now in mid-July-ish. Um, very hot, very hot. How's, how's your summer at the moment? Well, uh, my summer at the moment is great. Uh, this is my, the, the summer for me work-wise is actually a pretty intense uh, time of year, to be honest. Um, but it's, it's bizarre in the sense that both myself and many of the people I work with, principals, assistant principals, teacher leaders, my colleagues at, at my job, are also on vacation for you know different chunks of time. So it's like craziness, mm. million things to do at work, and then vacation. And right now, I am on, I'm at the tail end of the vacation. It's not real vacation, because I, I, I had to go home uh, to Minnesota to uh, take care of a bunch of important family matters. Um, but I, I have at least gotten a few days of time to just be. And um, so, that has been good for the soul, restful, and, uh, you know, can't complain about that. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that. And, um, it, folks, if y'all missed last week's episode or if you listened to, you know, most of it but didn't hang in there for the very end, the class dismissed where we like to give shout-outs to folks doing wonderful things in the world of education, uh, definitely go back and check that out. Uh, Jeff gave a very uh, moving tribute to his his mother who recently left us, and um, you definitely should go back and check that out. Very, uh, very Dope, heartfelt, class dismissed there. And speaking of vacations, uh, by the time y'all listen to this, I should be, uh, you know, as long as everything goes the way it's supposed to be, um, I should be overseas somewhere. So um, that means we we will not likely have any uh, episode drop next week. But you know what I'm saying? It's summertime. We taking care of ourselves. I'm sure, I'm sure y'all could understand and bear with us as we try to get some rest and... Um, whatever we could get before the flurry of the school year descends upon us. Yeah, apparently there's uh, there's no Wi-Fi on the uh, the yacht that uh, Manuel and his wife are are renting to uh, yeah. cruise the Mediterranean. Is that's just what I heard at least. So No nah, um, man, nah. Have you seen yeah. have you watched Below Deck? They don't be on laptops and computers doing work. They be partying <laughs> and being crazy on that show. So you know what I'm saying? He's going to the Derek Jeter party. They collect all the phones, uh, <laughs> laptops before you go in, so we can't record. Uh, Manuel's going to be living the big life uh, out yeah. there. 
Yeah, definitely not going to be that. It's definitely not going to be that. But I am for sure going to attempt dis- to uh, disconnect as much as possible. Although, I mean, dang, man, every single day there's like three or four giant things that like shake the world. And it's just like, how can one truly disconnect when like schools are shifting to Midwest conferences, uh, Supreme Court craziness still ongoing, all the regular stuff? I don't know, man. It's hard to disconnect because then you feel like you might miss something. But anyways, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jeff, we have a story that we want to talk about today. And honestly, I'm going to give you the option here. We could either talk about how despite the pandemic and despite teacher shortages, despite all of the calamity, four out of five classes in California are properly taught by fully credentialed, properly credentialed teachers. Or we could talk about how one in five classes in California are taught by underprepared teachers. What do you want to talk about, Jeff? What we got today? <laughs> I think uh, that that's actually a very interesting framing because I think it captures, uh, to some extent, my feelings on this this issue, Manuel. Now, certainly the more clickbaity, uh, fascinatingly potentially scandalous lens on this on this issue is as the headline of this article uh from ed source written by uh diana lambert daniel willis and i hope i'm pronouncing uh this other author's name correctly uh yushuan she i think i hope i'm saying that correctly um is titled nearly one out of five classes in california taught by underprepared teachers so uh i think now what should be happening inside your head is the clouds, the dark, foggy clouds should be rolling in, the doomsday oh, yeah. rumble music, you know, the sort oh, of like yeah. Empire March, dun, 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 like should be happening oh, in the, the background. The schools are failing, Jeff. The schools are failing. The, the kids can't read. Everyone's dumb because of the lazy teachers. Look at these lazy teachers who don't even want to get credentialed. They're all so lazy, lazy, lazy while Manuel's on a yacht in the Mediterranean. So, and I'm here to say, yes, that all of that is 100% true. <laughs> no, okay. So we'll, we'll rein it back in here. Um, the, you know, certainly this, this is the type of issue that like is fascinating to think about. But before we started recording this episode, I said to Manuel, it's like, do other professions have this issue? Like when you are on, you know, like does like United Airlines have 83% of its pilots like fully credentialed to be pilots. I don't exactly know what that means. I, I, I know they have a license of some sort, right? I, I hope uh, they do. Yeah, I think it's like 100%, right? <laughs> and like, and you know, when you go to have surgery, is it 83% of surgeons that are board certified in California? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, because of our lovely country, there's probably going to be some back alley people popping up to give abortions and things and, you know, in other parts of the country. But um, but in general, you expect 100% of the surgeons to be board certified surgeons, right? When you go to a social worker or a psychologist and you're seeking mental health care, you expect all of them to be licensed, right? Um, by whatever governing authority there is over their, you know, over their profession, right? And it's just always seems to me like educators are the one place where like we for whatever stupid reason we can't get this right largely i don't blame educators i blame politicians and universities uh for this issue to be frank but 
uh, it frustrates me because I think it's a it's just a sign of the fact that we as a profession don't control our profession, our professionalism uh, fully in a way that, that most other fields do. So all that said, um, this article gives some some interesting new data. This this was not all publicly available data until recently. So um, this this is one of those like advocacy groups have been have been doing work over several years to like get all this data and we'll have the link to this article definitely folks may want to click on it and check it out but um the the big picture is 83 percent of teachers in the state of california are uh considered fully credentialed right they have a clear credential in their subject area and they're teaching that in terms of their assignment 83 percent so a little more than four out of five um four percent uh, about four and a half percent are considered out of field, meaning they are teaching classes. Uh, a credentialed teacher is teaching a class, but the teacher lacks the appropriate credential for the course being taught. And then 4.1% are considered uh, ineffective, which means the teacher is not authorized to teach in California or is teaching a course without authorization from the state. We'll talk more about what that actually tells us as a data point um, in a little bit. Uh, one and a half percent are interns. These are folks who are in school to earn their credential, but are teaching or student teaching or in a residency program along the way. Um, and then 6.9% were listed in this data set as incomplete, unknown, or no information. Uh, so there might be some issue there where the data, you know, is incomplete for some reason. Um, so, you know, Manuel, I like, I think that uh, on the one hand, of course, 100% of teachers should be credentialed and should be teaching content for which they are and grade levels for which they are credentialed. Right. Um, I think the 4.4% who are teaching out of field is probably a data point that is that might tell us something interesting or might mean nothing at all, because there may be people in there like, let's say you, Manuel, who has a great skill with video editing, might be teaching one period of video editing and teaching kids to use Final Cut and other stuff in school. And you, I assume, unless something happened that I wasn't aware of, do not have like a media arts credential or whatever the right credential is to teach that subject. But you have the skills and knowledge and could do a good job. Right. And so I think there's probably a lot of folks who are in that kind of bucket, particularly as the subjects that get offered in school nowadays are more widely diverse and not just your kind of math, science, English, history sort of stuff. Um, and also, let's be real, man. I, and I, we've had some fantastic teacher educator uh, folks on this program over the years. So I do want to be respectful with my words here, <laughs> Dr. Rustin. But we do not have a strong history as a profession of training teachers well. And in fact, we, you know, I think it's fair to say we regularly graduate folks who, are, who have a wide skill set in terms of their ability to be effective in the classroom. So just because you are credentialed and you clear your credential and you pass all the stuff, right? You do all the exams and the coursework and the this and the that, doesn't necessarily mean you are fully competent to be effective in the context in which you are teaching. And in a way that I, I think is different, I, I think, than many other professions where, like, you know, if you are 
certified to be a general contractor or whatever, like you personally might be unreliable or might have personal issues, but like your ability to uh, properly install outlets in a house according to code or whatever, like you have that skill and can do it effectively reliably, right? So, I, you know, I, I, this is concerning, man. Well, I'm not sure it's as concerning as it actually looks, I guess is what I'm saying, because I think it's more complex than the data makes it look like. And frankly, we are correlating the 83% of clear credentialed folks is like, oh, these are highly qualified teachers. And I'm sorry, man, that's not, that's not what having a clear credential means. For most people, that's what it means, but not for everyone. And so I think there's like more scratching the surface we need to, to do here. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who are listening to this and who don't teach in California and like, what do I care about this uh, credentialing situation in California, I think this really is something that most states should, or that applies to most states in the sense that obviously credentialing comes through, uh, you know, state by state. And in this case, it took legislation, it took uh, activism to get to le legislation to make this data public for folks to actually see what percentage of teachers at your in your school district or at your school site have the proper credentials for what they are teaching. And to me, I think that is valuable information that that folks should have access to. Like if I had kids in the system, like I want to know uh, what percentage of, of teachers at the, my kid's school site are properly credentialed for the courses they're teaching. And I, I don't know how many other states have this. Maybe this is very common. Maybe pretty much every state you could just look up, you know, look up the information online. I, I would I would kind of assume that's probably not that common. So I'm definitely curious to hear from folks who teach in other states uh, what the situation is out there in terms of transparency around data um, as it pertains to teacher credentialing at different school sites. Because one thing that this does do and is noted in the article by our uh, State Board of Education President, Linda Darla Hammond, it, it helps point out and identify where you have some disparities, like where, you know, we've talked about it and it's in tons and tons of research how uh, the most marginalized communities, the most uh, historically disenfranchised folks tend to have schools that are not fully staffed appropriately and whose teachers are on emergency credentials or no credentials and all those kind of problems. This helps bring that sort of data to light to see, you know, where folks stand on that. So of course I got, I got access to this database and First thing I typed in, if I had kids, probably the first thing I would have searched for would be like my kid's school site, like what's it looking like over there? But I don't have kids. So I typed in my own school site in my own school district and this does come down to the school. So, you know, it'll show all the schools in that school district and what percentages are there. And if the California average was 83%, I'm thinking, well, my school probably is gonna be past that because we haven't had much turnover. I talked to folks like across the staff all the time about like either their own teacher program or, you know, I, I just, I know folks around me are credentialed for what they're teaching. We haven't really been scrambling at my school site in, in recent years, at least. And uh, it was 58%. So that sort of, you know, took me back a little bit because I'm like 58%, that's like worse than, than the statewide average. And then I got to thinking about um, sort of the terminology being used here and the measures being used here and the fact that my school is one that is wall-to-wall -wall academy, so to speak, so that every you know every single student at our school site is part of a career-themed academy. Before we became dual enrollment focused, we were pure career-themed focused for, for quite a while when we got reconstituted. So that means we have a lot of really dope electives taught by a lot of really dope 
uh, career technical educators and their credentials are a little different than ours. So I, I believe this 58% is because um, what it takes to teach a media arts class, for example, isn't the same type of single subject credential that it takes to teach a history class. So our uh, career technical education courses are taught by folks who have experience in that field, like work experience in that field. So I think that's the reason why our number looks low, which goes to your point, Jeff, that this is not necessarily a measure of quote unquote, like being a, a, a prepared teacher or not. Like they use the term prepared a lot in this article in the, in the headline, it's um, one in five classes in California taught by underprepared teachers. In the article, they say stuff like most school districts have had to rely on teachers who are not fully prepared to teach at least some classes on their schedule. And that's, you know, kind of a leap to just assume that having that credential means you are prepared or you are fully prepared. Because to your point, we graduate folks from teacher ed programs all the time who have a really wide knowledge base and skill set. But in terms of like, what that means as a excellent teacher or not, like there's a lot more learning to do. And that's why we see so many folks who are first, second, third year in the profession struggle so much because they are still learning and they are still growing in terms of their skill set and ability to to reach and teach their students and, and deal with the challenges of just the, the system within they work within which they work. So that term prepared is uh, a little bit of a misnomer here. So for my school site, seeing that 58% that does that definitely does not mean that we only have 58% of our teachers who are prepared to teach their their particular subject. I would say that number for us will probably like reasonably if you actually look at like what a person is teaching and what their background is in it, I would say our number is easily in the 90s, but by this measure it's not. But there are other schools and I you know I looked around a lot of other different schools, a lot of different districts and there are certainly some red flags here and there for certain schools in certain areas and that points to the historic disparities that we've had that points to the ongoing challenge of fully staffing schools that work with some of our most marginalized or most challenged students. And there's a school in the city I teach. It's not part of our district. I'm not going to say the name because whatever, I don't want to go there. But there is a school within the city that I teach in that is not a district school. And I look them up and they are at 6.8% of their teachers are credentialed to teach the subject that they're actually teaching. And 33% of their teachers are uh, don't have any credential at all, and 58% are credentialed but not teaching what they're credentialed in. So it it fits with what I've heard about the school being a really big mess and a bit of a mess. And to me, that's the sort of data that needs to come to light for folks to know, like folks who are considering sending their their child to to that school. Like this is to me, this would be data that is important for them to see so that they could you know, catch the red flags maybe before they, they enroll their student in there because there are certainly problems out there. So it's useful information in the sense of having this publicly available data for folks. But yeah, I would, like you, I would, I would say, you know, it doesn't necessarily give us the full picture. And there's certainly a lot to discuss in terms of like what these numbers really mean in practice, really mean in, in reality. So, so yeah. 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 And it, I, I'm really glad you uh, you kind of went there, Manuel, in terms of the... So there is the average statewide. The map that's in the EdSource article allows you to look at uh, county-level data. And, it, and it, as you said, it is important, I think, for us to call out uh, a big chunk of this data came from uh, a partnership between Learning Policy Institute and the California Department of Ed, uh, to gather and disseminate this data. So really interesting stuff, but I, something that I think, you know, might shed a little more insight into like 
the places we could go within this data that might help us better understand some of the issues. So I'm looking at the school system that I work with most prominently, which is Los Angeles Unified, and uh, the percentage of, uh, of new hires with substandard credentials, meaning they're new hires who don't yet have a, a complete uh, clear credential, uh, is 40% in the district, right? Now, that type of number might suggest that what we are doing is bringing as many new people in the door as we can because we have a, a because of a demand issue right we have more right. vacancies to fill than there are fully credentialed new people coming into the profession right and so i think what's also wrapped into this data set uh manuel is this issue of the teacher shortage which we have talked about periodically over the over the course of the years um, on this show. Uh, but we have, you know, we have a very serious issue statewide, nationwide with us having not enough teachers. Right. And then mm -hmm. this goes into the question of like, well, why do we find ourselves in that situation? Right. Well, schools of ed aren't graduating enough people. Well, why aren't schools of ed graduating enough people? Right. Um, well, there's funding issues, there's cost issues, there's starting salary issues for teachers, particularly in uh, in places like California where you can't afford to live in the cities because it's stupidly expensive everywhere in this state. And then you have California also, contrary to popular public opinion, isn't just LA and San Francisco and Oakland and San Diego, right? Like California has large rural swaths of the state, particularly everything that's like 30 miles or more inland um, is either like far suburban for the most part in the state or is actually rural, right? We have like rural desert communities, rural agricultural communities where it's hard. And in Northern California, that's, you know, overwhelmingly rural. And so you have uh, communities where it's difficult to attract teachers or where people live and districts are located far from uh, institutions of higher ed that actually offer teacher credentialing, right? And so, you know, who's moving to these places for the pay that is available to become a teacher, right? And the answer is not that many folks, right? And it's difficult for them to attract and retain in somewhat similar ways that it's difficult for large urban districts like LA Unified to attract and retain enough people to have uh, uh, and to, to have in the first place and then keep a fully credentialed uh, teaching staff. So I think there's like a lot of layers here to this issue that, that is probably worth us um, exploring, Manuel. And, you know, I, I don't want to oversimplify and say like, yeah, and what about the pay for educators? But in every other aspect of our, of our capitalist economic system, when we need more of, you know, when we have a shortage of labor, we increase, you know, try to increase the uh, supply by raising the, you know, the cost of the labor, right? Like literally Amazon did this during the pandemic, like all of a sudden they're paying 15 or $20 an hour and Amazon is trash. I get it. But I'm just saying like from that end of the spectrum to lawyers and investment bankers, right? Like, when you don't have enough, you're like, all right, well, we'll have more bonuses or incentives or hiring, you know, uh, supplements or whatever. And we see like a piddlance of that when it comes to educators like, oh, it's a like one thousand dollar 
hiring bonus or some some crap like that, right? We're not talking about like, hey, you can't pay starting teachers, you know, whatever it is now in LA, $47,000 or something, you know, something like that. As a first year teacher in LA, you can't afford, you're going to have a one bedroom apartment with a roommate in LA if you're making that kind of money, right? Unless your parents Definitely. have money, they can, they can supplement you, right? So like, so of course we're having problems <laughs> attracting and retaining enough people if this is the you know what we have as an economic situation for our new entrance to the profession now again i don't want to oversimplify but like come on man we like we can decide we want to do better about this so it's great that we have the data but like let's have some will to do something substantive about this even though it's going to take some time, but to actually in invest in the education as a profession. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, uh, you know, then that's focusing on the pipeline and the younger teachers, like you said, like beginning teacher salary in Los Angeles to live in Los Angeles, like forget about it, forget about it. But also uh, it's important to note that like we have a real trouble, we have real trouble with, with retention and, a lot of folks, you know, uh, so this data comes from October of the most previous school year. That's when, you know, these numbers are crunched. So by then, most schools in California have been in session for a month and a half or, you know, at least a month, but maybe a month and a half and or more. And speaking for from my own experience, a lot of times like the school year starts and there's some um, staffing emergency because over the summer, someone realized like this just ain't for them. Like they just... Uh, the the demands of the profession are just too much or the pay just is not where it needs to be and sometimes people make the decision over the summer unfortunately sometimes that happens like really really late summer and then the school is scrambling to hire somebody to to fill that spot and you know that is something that happens and that's something that certainly will impact these numbers these numbers you know maybe they would be i guess slightly different if they were taken in november december but who knows and that's not you know that's besides the point anyways but uh board president darling hammond she does mention in the article or she's quoted in the article and she says that uh, a quote a lot of people are beginning to realize that or beginning to recognize that retention is the name of the game. It's about recruitment. Nine out of 10 positions are open because people left the year before. So nine out of 10 openings are because someone left, maybe they retired, maybe they left early. And yes, you need new uh, young teachers coming out of the graduate programs, out of the teacher ed programs to fill those spots. But also like those those nine out of 10 who, who left, if unless it's retirement because of, of years spent in the classroom, like we got to really look at, well, what are the reasons why they're leaving and what can we do to to try to um, um, try to do something about that number and try to keep more folks in the classroom in terms of valuing them, in terms of helping them see or helping not helping them see, but helping them actually have um, their voices heard, have input on on decisions being made around them and all of the things that research shows helps keep teachers feeling um confident and feeling um, good about themselves in the classroom. So a lot of work to be done there. Work needs to be done on both fronts, like getting folks into the classroom and then keeping folks when they are there. Uh, that's for sure. And also going back to just the fact that we are just talking, I say just, but we're, we're talking about credentials here. And I will be entering my 19th year in the classroom this fall. And aside from my teacher ed program, which Jeff, I'm sure you remember those days. Um, aside from that preparation and a few things I had to do first and second year, uh, as a first and second year teacher to fully clear my credential and get get it fully right. Uh, 
since then, it's been pretty much log into the website every couple of years, pay my fee, and renew that joint for another three or four years, whatever. So the credential that I have, I will I can confidently say does not reflect the latest in research around teaching and learning. It does not exemplify all the extra stuff that I've done over the years to grow as, as a teacher. It's, it's literally a certification that I earned years ago that I simply have to pay a renewal fee every couple of years. It takes all of like 15 seconds to give them my money and renew that joint and keep it moving. So uh, definitely we want to interrogate this idea that credential equals preparedness because folks with credentials might not really be prepared or maybe they were prepared back in the day, but they haven't kept up with the, the changing demands and dynamics of the classroom and they are no longer prepared. Um, there's that and there's of course the folks who get their credential and still have a lot of learning to do. So credential does not equal prepared. It will be lovely you know, maybe this is a seminar discussion, although we have discussed teacher credentialing, teacher ed programs a few times during our full episodes. But, um, you know, it would be worthwhile to further interrogate what it actually takes to prepare somebody to be a teacher in this big year 2022 and um, the extent to which a credential fully reflects or is built around the, the research backed concepts around what effective teaching and learning looks like. So, you know, that's a bigger conversation. But for now, I think these numbers are definitely, definitely interesting. If you live in California, definitely click, click on the links below and see what your local schools are looking like. See what your, if you're a teacher or educator who works with the school school system, definitely, you know, poke around, see, see what you can find. And if you have young people in the school system, certainly take a look, take a look at what their school is looking like. However, again, I will point out that my school, the number is not looking great, but that is just factually just not, not uh, reflective of what's actually happening. We have so many super dope, like our kids and our career theme academies take four years of uh, CTE courses, like four years of some, something around engineering or something around business or something around arts and media. So that's a lot of teachers. And those teachers do not have the same type of credentials that are measured in this data. Therefore, our numbers are looking lower than they actually are. So there's always that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that example uh, you're giving, Manuel, uh, of yourself um, and, you know, and the context in which you work is a fascinating one, right? Because... There is, um, you know, and I think many professions have uh, a similar situation, right? We have doctors who, be, you know, became board certified in a profession 20, 30 years ago or whatever, right? And tons has changed in terms of, you know, in some ways very comparable to education, right? The technology landscape today is radically different than it was 30 years ago in our profession, right? The um, you know, the uh, kind of norms and standards of practice have evolved significantly, right? And and once you enter the profession, you are expected to sort of stay up to date and evolve your practice over time. You don't have to like go back to medical school just because we now do so many surgeries arthroscopically when we used to slice people open all the time, right? Uh, I mean, sorry, doctors, I'm being very crude with that uh, <laughs> assessment there, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like we do dramatically more minimalist intervention procedures. I'm sure there's a better word for that for the doctors out there, but like, you know, you get your knee scoped and stuff today in a way that like it used to be very different. And so I get it, 
right? And and I think that there's a similar analogy to be made for education that doesn't mean like you should have to start everything over again uh, just because you got credentialed in the early 2000s, right? Um, and I think in some ways this conversation that we're having is is coming is sort of being reduced to a data point that we can effectively and e relatively easily measure. That's not a bad data point per se, but I do think it's like leading us away from what I might argue is perhaps the more interesting question, which is less how many people have X, Y, and Z boxes checked in terms of their credential and more like how effective is the actual school classroom instruction uh, learning environment that these educators are able to create. Um, and I think there is probably, I don't have data on this, but I'm going to say from my own anecdotal experience that there is a fairly decent correlation between people being fully credentialed and being able to create those effective learning environments versus people who are not yet credentialed struggling more. I think that's probably true. Probably. Um, yeah, but there's more things like in a perfect world, we would be measuring much more in this conversation than just who who's on the register with the state as clear credentialed or not. Right. We would be talking about like what do the kids think and feel about the learning experience in your class? How engaged are students when we go in and see what's happening in the classroom? Uh, what kind of writing or speaking or, you know, um, uh, artwork or uh, stuff, work of some sort, are kids producing as the outcome or one of the outcomes of their experience in the class? Would kids recommend your class to their friends and peers, you know, or that sort of thing? There'd be these other data points, which are uh, some more qualitative, but some, you know, quantitative as well, um, that I think would round off the conversation about, hey, do we have an issue with the overall preparedness and quality of our educator workforce here or are we okay you know um and so i just want to name that that i think yes this is one day the point we should be looking at it but also in some ways the same thing we do with test scores because it's the most easily measurable and most invested in way of assessing this bigger thing we want to know which is how much are kids learning right uh, we then start to talk about it as though it actually is the full picture when it's actually not, right? And, uh, and so I think we have a little bit of that phenomenon here. Like we're, we're perhaps victim to the, you know, the phenomenon of like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like when, when you have this, this data, everything looks like a clear credential question as opposed to maybe what we actually would want to know and discuss. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And I think some of that data that you mentioned there, that um, some qualitative, some quantitative, that we could get to really give us a fuller picture of teacher preparedness and effectiveness. Yeah, I think a lot of folks, some folks would be terrified of that data coming out because uh, I think you will find some of these quote unquote <laughs> high performing, super great, great schools um, have teachers who are not as great. And a lot of this is built on something besides the actual teaching and learning that is happening in the classroom, which is in, of, in and of itself a big problem, big problem. Um, 
Well, folks, well, folks, shout out to EdSource for doing the reporting around this. And again, we'll put the links below. So if you do live in California, you can check out what the credential situation is looking like in your uh, local school context. And if you don't live in California, definitely hit us up and let us know what what is it looking like in your area? Like, are there is there a database for your state? Is this something that's measured in public or is this also something that's kind of just um, in the shadows and not really easily accessible? And before we go, we definitely want to recommend that y'all check out uh, a couple things that are coming up. First of all, Educolor, um, our, our homies over there at educolor.org are putting on their annual virtual summit. And this year it'll be on July 21st, July 21st, Educolor virtual summit. Um, the last two years I've attended, it's been really, really dope, really, really um, uplifting and engaging. And the speakers are only the dopest of the dope educators out there. So definitely check out educolor.org for more information about that. And as we mentioned last week, the Human Restoration Project has a really dope multi-day virtual conference, the Conference to Restore Humanity, which is going down from July 25th through July 28th. And it's a very, um, what, what would be the word, Jeff? A very um, cutting edge, different, intriguing, engaging method of having a conference, um, a little bit of flipped action going on and a series of just a series of tracks for educators to go through. It's, um, you know, listen to last week's episode if you missed that, but very dope conference that will be going down in about uh, a week or so from now or two weeks from now, July 25th through July 28th. Definitely check that out at humanrestorationproject.org. And again, we will not be around next week because I may or may not be on a very fancy, very expensive yacht in the Mediterranean. I, I will not, actually. I will not be on a yacht. But um, I will not be here. I can tell you that. So uh, so it might be a minute, but you know what I'm saying. Just uh, you know, enjoy your summer, and we'll be back at you as soon as we can. And Jeff, is there anything else before we get out of here? Uh... No. Take that as a no. <laughs> I like that you attempted. You're like, you're like when I call I tried. a student. I, I tried to come up with something witty on off the spot, but uh, I just I just got nothing today, oh, man. Good, I'm, a little, man. I'm a little tired. I'm a little uh, maybe not on my A game. Yeah, man. But, uh, you know, it's all good. It's summertime. Stakes are low. Everybody's having a good time right now. You know, the kids are at camp. Uh, you know, parents are... Uh, having an adult beverage during the day or something so yeah man good for you everybody hope you're relaxing yeah for sure for sure and it's hot all right folks it is hot that about does it for this week's <laughs> passing period remember we love y'all all of our stuff can be found at aotashow.com and now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class